the transformed mind and the ways in which our world gives us these things uh, we'll call secular liturgies to form us in the wrong direction, to deform us. That's what I'm talking about. If you want to follow along, please turn to Romans 12. I'm going to skip a little part in the middle that you, you tend to read a lot in staff meetings because it's about the, like kind of one of these verses about the body and we're all important. So I'm going to skip that part. You may have heard it. And uh, clearing out that juicy little piece of the Oreo is going to hit the uh, beginning and the end. So I'm going to go from one to three, picking up again with nine. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. To verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is a lot. It's a mouthful. But that is the radical call to which Christians are invited. And it seems absurd to the world. It seems odd. And it is so beautiful. It's why I'm still in the game called Christianity. You want to call it a game. But I want you to consider a thought experiment for me. I'm going to give you some pictures in your mind. And I want to see if you can reach down deep into your heart. And if you can spare just a little compassion, a little sympathy, a little empathy when I bring up these images. First, a lost puppy. A lost puppy. In the, in the alleyways of Detroit. Where is my owner? Where is my mama, says the puppy. Can you, that make you feel sad? Okay, let's keep going. Do you have enough compassion to shed an internal tear for Jesus who was forced, the guy 2,000 years ago, who was forced to carry the instrument of his own execution up towards a hill where he would die for our sins? And early on in our Christian life, we learn how to mourn for this Jesus, to, to suffer and have uh, compassion and this is for the passion of Christ. But then as you get along in the game of Christianity a little farther, 
Can you now picture a man named Jesus Iscariot who thinks that, well, that didn't work out so well. I didn't see things the way Jesus saw things. I didn't see the plan of God in weakness and in suffering and in blood and in sweat and in splinters. So he betrays his master and he despairs of all forgiveness. And so he hangs himself. Do you have enough compassion for Judas Iscariot, the son of destruction? Or how about that picture of Saddam Hussein? Some of you are too young for this stuff, right? But there was a guy named Saddam Hussein, bad man. Bad, did bad things. They found him when he was in hiding and he was in his tidy whities Something, if you are in hiding from the government, please wear good boxer shorts. Go to MeUndies, get yourself some nice compression shorts, you know, because you're going to be on TV. But here's this guy, his hair is disheveled, and he's going to go in shame to be executed. Is there any space in your heart for compassion for Saddam Hussein? Last night I was watching with my dear family the roast of Rob Lowe. It's not edifying. Do not watch this. But, you know, everybody's pretty rough on everybody on these roasts. But there was one person who was the funnel for everybody's hate. And I don't like her much myself. Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter has said some mean things. And she's supporting Trump. And so that, you know, in Hollywood, that's going to get you a lot of enemies. But here's Ann Coulter. And she's on the, the dais. She's standing there. And everybody is lobbing insults at her. You look like a horse. And all of a sudden, the camera comes in on Ann Coulter. And she's shaking. She's in pain. Democrat friends here, do you have any part in your heart for love for the mean-spirited Ann Coulter? Because all of us, this is the thing I've learned as I grew up, kind of, we are all, this is the scariest thing about being an adult. Holy crud, we are all just scared children, worried that we are not loved, that we are not okay, that we are not worthy of grace or acceptance or forgiveness. We are scared. And in that fear, we lash out at others, and we become intolerable, and then we become what we're worried that people already thought we were. Waste of space, despisable, despicable human beings. But can we not look at this business of uh, the gospel, the new logic of Paul, where he says that we see in a different way. There's a new logic, a new way of seeing each other. Can we have compassion on the unlovable can we love the odious? This is not something that we talk about enough within Christian circles. But there is one of my favorite theologians who does talk about it. His name is Kazo Kitamori, who uh, was writing right after World War II, and his book is called Theology of the Pain of God. He writes, We may appear to be spineless when we forgive and embrace those who should not be forgiven. This very shame constitutes our pain. We should be known as people who are having to be constantly embarrassed by our love for people who appear unlovable. And we do this by starting to see people in their own pain and their own agony. And the way we do this is we get out of our own little echo chambers, our own little circles. Um, two examples. When my oldest son was with me and we were visiting my, uh, my wife who had just given birth to Aiden, now, this was in Corbin, Kentucky. My son was born in Corbin, Kentucky, the birthplace also of Colonel Sanders and the original KFC. And I went up 
a young man with a young family, just got my doctorate from Oxford University, I'm feeling pretty good, I walk into KFC, and this young teenage woman berates me because I don't know how to order at KFC. I don't go to KFC, I don't know what it is, but it was, you know, it was the birthplace of Colonel Sanders, you gotta do, you know, what you do in Kentucky, and that's the Kentucky Fried Chicken, so you know, so, and I'm a fool for not knowing. Flash forward to just a couple weeks ago. I go to an Arco in Dana Point, and there's a woman who has just recently immigrated from Croatia. And I'm always afraid of these things, and she, she says, okay, that'll be $7.92. So I scan my card, and she goes, no, not that one, please scan in this one. And I said, oh no, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, I didn't, I didn't, uh. And she said to me something that normally people don't say to me. She said, how would you know? How would you know? And I said, that's right, how would I know? Now, what's the difference between the gal at KFC and the gal at Arco? The gal at KFC hadn't really spent a lot of time outside of Corbin, right? She hadn't spent a lot of time outside of a world where there, there's more than just the KFC. But the Croatian woman was fighting a hard battle as a new immigrant to this country. And she knew how hard it was to navigate difference. And so she had compassion on me. Do we have the eyes to see like the Arco lady? I wish I did all the time, uh, but I don't always. Sometimes I find myself in this world that is uh, competitive and transactional. It's a world of karma, thinking in terms of what we deserve. But we, as, especially as Christians, need to get out of our own echo chambers. This is why we need diversity in the deepest, deepest sense. Because when we start to see other people in other contexts and live ourselves in other contexts, we can truly become conform not to this worldly vision of comp competition and transaction, but we learn to be transformed and we have our minds renewed. We can only do this in grace, of course, as Paul says, because only in grace do we realize that we don't live in the world of law where we get what we deserve, but we get those beautiful blessings that we don't deserve. We believe all things. We believe in even the weakest, most seeming, seemingly impossible to redeem kinds of people. This is why one of my favorite shirts is, was a gift from my friend Dan Van Voris, and the shirt says, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. I consider this uh, maybe a challenge for us all as this next week comes upon us. Can we think in terms of loving especially our roommates, our co-workers, our teachers, the people that we don't like. There's only one person I, I really have seen who's able to pull this off. Um, and, and, well, that's Jesus. <laughs> but there's another guy who lives around here. He's a friend of mine. And he is going to be coming out uh, to Global Village on October 6th. And his name is Micah Bornet. And he does a lot of spoken word, but now he's come out with a blues album. And instead of going on and on, I got lots of notes. If anybody, you know, I do have the notes. I do my homework. But I figure I'm just going to turn it over to him. Uh, I want to show you a video here because this really encapsulates the spirit of this radical new logic of the gospel. The new logic of the gospel is one where we do not look out for our own interests, but we fill up a cup of love for those who want our blood. Let's take a look at this. I'll conclude with him. Don't pay no mind to no hate I don't pay no mind to no hate yeah. 
He's going to be out here at the Global Village. We're going to pack him on in here. And last time he was here, he was great. What he said to me at lunch when we were talking about him coming out and doing some things was that it is so easy in our world, because of all the offensive things that are going on, because of all the injustices, for us to start to dwell on our own indignation. We start to dwell on the offense that's been given us. And this guy has gotten a lot of it, from racism to all sorts of other things. And he says, the only thing that's going to free us from being able to fall in on ourselves and make our own comfort, our own sense of rage. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God bless you. <laughs> 